a podcast that helps artists to engage the church and the church to engage artists. My name is Matt Anderson. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast, uh, follow us, and then uh, if you can, depending on your platform, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review. Kind of gets us out there a little bit more. I want to welcome you to a very unique sort of uh, experimental thing. This is an interactive communion service by way of podcast. Uh, So this particular episode is quite unique, and it demands a few disclaimers. The first is, uh, this is not an episode to listen to while you're on the treadmill or walking around the neighborhood or driving anywhere. Uh, This episode really only works if you're in a focused place alone with God, free of distraction. Now, you're going to need a few things in order to participate in this episode. The first is, personally, you need to be a believer in Christ, someone who has given Jesus control over their life and has dedicated themselves to live according to the Word of God. I mean, this is absolutely necessary to understand His death and resurrection. Now, you're also going to need a few items at the ready at different points during during this uh, interaction. Uh, You're going to need a piece of bread or a cracker. You'll need a a cup of grape juice, or if you have a grape itself, that will suffice. And then you'll need uh, a sheet of paper, maybe two, depending on how you do things, and a writing instrument, which I know sounds very low-tech, but I think low-tech is pretty much the way to go with this particular uh, podcast, and I think you'll see why. Now, a few times during this uh, interactive communion, you're going to be asked to do certain things. You'll need to reflect. You're going to be asked to pray. You might be asked to write some things down. You might be asked to draw. Uh, just some, some different expressions um, along the way on this journey. And each time we do that, there's probably going to be about three to five minutes of music that plays that gives you the chance to do that. Now, uh, a lot of people will need more time, and that's so okay. So feel free to just pause the podcast while you keep going. I don't want you to feel rushed uh, in any way. If you want to go back and play the music again, feel free. Uh, but I just want to make sure you have adequate time to respond as you would like to. I want this thing to really count. Uh, and since we have this opportunity, let's make the most of it. So at this point, uh, I'm going to ask you to pause the podcast here until you have kind of all those items needed uh, and ready to go. And when you do, feel free to hit play, and we'll begin. Other than Jesus, I think the most fascinating character of Holy Week is Simon Peter. And what I want you to do for this communion time is to put yourself in his shoes, or in his sandals, to use the first century. (laughs) I want you to imagine you are him. Now think about it. You have been with Jesus almost from the very beginning of his ministry. It's been about three years. You have walked probably hundreds of miles with him. You have seen him perform miracles that you had only before read about or heard. You've even seen him raise dead people to life on a couple of occasions. But you sense an urgency this particular week. You see, Jesus is planning something big here in Jerusalem. I mean, it's Passover week. Uh, Almost anyone who is anyone is here. And maybe, maybe this is going to be when he will announce that he is the Messiah and now he is going to bring justice for the Jews uh, against Rome 
and all of the pretend religious leaders, you're wondering this might be it. And on this particular Thursday night, Jesus has arranged for a private meal with you and the other disciples. Now you have really very little idea of what to expect, but you're ready for anything. I'm going to ask that you spend a few minutes, like Peter, just thinking about your relationship with Jesus. I don't know how long you've been walking with him, if it's been three years, three weeks, or 30 years. And think about all that he has done for you and what he means to you. And maybe you want to write a list. Maybe you want to verbally offer thanks to him for these next few minutes. But I want you to spend uh, this next time just doing that, being grateful that you've been able to just walk with him and enjoy him.
Now, during this meal, something surprising happens. Jesus stands up, removes his outer cloak, and he takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. And then he pours water into a basin and he really starts doing the most menial task of all, washing the feet of you and the other disciples. Now to say this was an entry-level job is kind of an insult to entry-level jobs. When it comes to Simon, Peter is taken aback to see the Messiah doing something so degrading. This is so beneath him, he thinks. And Jesus responds, though, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So being the enthusiastic guy you are, you say, yeah, Lord, you can wash not only my feet, but my head and my hands as well. And Jesus is showing the work that he wants to do in every person. He wants to wash them clean of their sins. And no matter how quote unquote good you and I are, uh, you and I pick up dirt and debris on our life and we need a wash. Would you take a few minutes and just write a list of things that you've been forgiven for or habits or, or patterns or maybe addictions that are now in your past because Jesus has washed you clean. We know you're not perfect. But I want you to be reminded of what Jesus has given you victory over. Take a few minutes and remind yourself of how forgiven you are.
Now, as you and the disciples are eating supper, Jesus gets everyone's attention. He takes a a piece of unleavened bread, which was required at Passover, and he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he passes it to all of you to eat. And he says, take, eat. This is my body. Now, that's a big statement. What in heaven did that mean? There's probably no way that Peter understood it in the moment. But we definitely know now. And what I want you to do is to take that piece of bread or or that cracker that you have, and I want you to hold it in your hand and just look at it for a moment as you hear me read Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, this is the message of Christmas. Jesus saw us in our sinful state, and he knew we could not fix ourselves. He knew he was the solution, but it would involve risking everything. So he gave up his position in heaven, and he allowed himself to become an embryo. And he put himself right on the field of play to be attacked and tempted in every possible way. He needed to live the life that we lived, but without sin. He had to fulfill all the laws of Moses that no one else was successful in doing. Jesus humbled himself by taking on human flesh. Then he further humbled himself by laying himself down on the cross willingly, being broken and unrecognizable when the torture was done. I'm going to ask you to to break or tear that piece of bread that you have and that you're holding right now to remind yourself of Jesus' act of love for you and allow me to pray a prayer of blessing over the bread. Jesus, your journey was cosmic warfare. When you made the loving decision and you didn't have to be talked into it, that you would save your children. Immediately the enemy went to work to defeat you, but he had no chance because you're greater than him. I am so glad, Lord, you humbled yourself, not only by washing the disciples' feet, but by leaving heaven, taking on the form of a man. Thank you, Lord, for loving us that much. We thank you for your body that you allowed to be hurt and tortured and beaten so that we could sit here on this podcast and know that we're free. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. And now I'm going to ask you to take the bread, if you will. Jesus then took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. And so he asks you as Simon Peter and the other disciples to drink from it. And he says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Now you and the disciples, you know the word covenant When you hear it, it's an important word to Jewish people. God made a handful with his people over the centuries. But the most significant for them was the covenant with Moses. And this is what you have lived under and unfortunately broken. But now Jesus is saying, here's a new covenant. 
This would be kind of scandalous to say in any other circles. This would be blasphemy if the Pharisees were around. And just like the blood of rams and bulls would forgive sins of God's people in the Old Testament, Jesus would be the final sacrifice on this Passover. He would take away the sin of the world. He would put himself on the altar of sacrifice and allow himself to be wrecked and beaten and bloodied. In a sense, Jesus was telling them, take this personally. I'm not just dying for humanity. I'm dying for you. I'm dying for you, Peter. I think we need to personalize the cross again. Remind ourselves that it was for me. So I'd ask that you take either the grape or the cup of grape juice that you have, and again, just hold it. And I want you to realize that we can't have grape juice until the grape is pressed or squeezed. And Jesus' life was pressed and squeezed from him, ultimately on the cross, when he took God's wrath for sin upon himself. It was a pain that no one has or ever will experience again. Because of the shedding of Jesus' blood, we have forgiveness of sins. We have healing in our bodies, and we have the hope of eternal life. So allow me to pray a blessing over, over the, the cup. Jesus, there's an old song that I used to sing in church that says, the blood will never lose its power. And that's very correct. Because nothing was wasted when it came to your death. Every drop of blood that was shed was poured out for the healing and the forgiveness of the nations. And what you allowed to happen without sinning is beyond my comprehension. But Lord, thank you for taking the wrath of God that we deserved. Thank you for being my substitute on the cross. You became a curse for us. So now it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I want to thank you for the shedding of your blood and for anyone today who maybe has sins in their life that they haven't dealt with or maybe they need healing in their bodies. Lord, we, we believe that the blood of Jesus is applied to these situations and we ask for your healing and your forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen. So why don't you drink the cup or uh, partake the grape? Now, this is usually where we end communion, at least in, in my churches, and it's fine to do so, but there's more to Peter's story. You see, after this glorious moment with their master, you slash Peter, feel like you could probably run through a wall for him. You, you have never loved someone this much in your life. So how surprising and crushing must it have been to hear your master, to hear your mentor say that you and the others would desert him. Now, those are fighting words for you, and you're, you're, you're quick to put up your dukes if you feel like you're being threatened. Not that you're going to assault the Lord here, but you do boldly proclaim, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. But then Jesus doubles down and says, Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow, you will deny knowing me three times. Well, you, you double down as well. No way. Even if I have to die, I won't leave you. But hours later, you would fulfill that prophecy. And it didn't even take a threat of death to do it. One of those times was because a young teenage girl in a courtyard thought she recognized you and was ready to out you. I don't think she was carrying a sword. And so eventually you say, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. 
Then the rooster crowed to announce the sunrise. Jesus was right. You had failed and failed spectacularly. Now all you can do is run and cry. Isn't it amazing how vulnerable we are to spiritual failure right after a big spiritual victory? Are you dealing with failure in your spiritual life? Do you feel like you failed the Lord in some way? Or maybe you feel like you failed your family or yourself or someone who was counting on you? Maybe it was recent. Maybe it was years ago. But is there a failure that you just cannot shake? Could you just take the next few minutes to write that down and maybe the effects that it has had on you?
by Saturday, Jesus has died, and you're not sure what bothers you more, that your master has gone or that you failed him in his greatest hour of crisis. So you cry and shame yourself for hours and hours. You don't sleep. You don't eat. You can't even speak. You're in hiding. Between bouts of shame, you fear for your life. Perhaps the Roman officials will now come for you in order to prove a point that anyone who claims to be the Messiah will suffer such fates. Everything feels lost. You, you wonder if everything you have believed in is a lie. Are you in a Saturday of the soul right now? Or maybe you know a friend who is in that place unsure if they really believe anymore. Maybe they've gone through some setbacks. Maybe they've had some adversity come their way and their enthusiasm has waned. Have they fallen into cynicism and bitterness over events in their life? Either way, would, would you bring your situation to the Lord and ask for clarity and healing maybe in your, in your life or in your friend's life. If you're finding yourself in a darker place spiritually, maybe you're like Peter right now on Saturday, I want you to bring that to the Lord right now.
the next morning on Sunday, you're talking with John, another apostle, considering what the future holds for both of you. Suddenly, one of your longtime traveling companions, Mary Magdalene, she's been there from the beginning. She runs up to you and she announces that someone has taken the body of Jesus out of his grave. Well, now you and John run to the burial place to see for yourselves just what's going on. You've long forgotten Jesus' earlier predictions of conquering death, and you arrive to find the tomb empty. You now have fewer answers than before. Who could have taken him? Why would they do such a thing? You shake your head in frustration and just go back to your secret meeting place with the other disciples. That evening, however, while talking with the other ten disciples about where Jesus' body could possibly be or who took it and why, suddenly the living body of Jesus suddenly appears in the middle of the room. And there he is, looking more glorious than ever. And he says to all of you, peace be with you. And you probably let out a muffled shout. He shows the nail prints in his wrists and feet, just in case anyone wonders if it's real. And of course, you are speechless. Suddenly, you now remember all of his teachings about him tearing down the temple and, quote, rebuilding it in three days. And you start to connect the dots. More than that, you rejoice in the fact that you have known and believed the truth, and now the truth has set you free. I want you to imagine Jesus standing before you right now, as he is right now, in resurrected form, in all of his glory. What does he look like? What's his expression? What does he say? Maybe you'd like to draw that, uh, sketch that, or just simply write a narrative But would you take some moments and and use your imagination right now and paint a picture of the glorious Jesus, the Son of the living God, as he is today?
Now, Jesus was alive, but for you, there is still unfinished business. You're still dealing with the guilt of personally failing him so massively the night that he was arrested. And you're not sure where you stand with the Lord. You haven't had that moment yet. Well, would he just forget about it? Or was he waiting for the appropriate moment to tell me that I was no longer welcome? That I had disqualified myself from his service? Well, he surprisingly shows up after Peter goes out to fish and goes all night without catching anything. It was a scenario that had happened a few years before. And just like the moment you first met him, Jesus recreates it. Everything from telling you to throw your net on the right side of the boat, to try one more time, and then a great haul of fish. And of course, now you know who it is. The Lord had arranged this entire moment, this entire sequence for you. This was the Lord telling you that he still loves you. Now, you were avoiding him, wondering if your failure was final, but now you know it isn't. And the scripture tells us that you just dive into the water and do a full-out swim to the shore because you don't want to wait for the boat to get going. You can't wait to get back on the shore to embrace him. But even more than that, later on, he pulls you aside from all the others and he speaks one-on-one with you. And he wants to know if you still love him. And you tell him so, in fact, three different times. Yep, the same number of times you denied him. All three times, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. In other words, he was saying, Peter, I am trusting you with my precious spiritual lambs. I know you can take care of them. Do for them what I have done for you. I love you and believe in you. You are still Peter, the rock I know you can be. You see, one of the benefits of the cross is that distance from Jesus is no longer an excuse. No sin we have committed, no failure we have perpetrated, no shame we have carried is allowed to keep us from his presence. You see, he wants you near, closer. No, closer than that. The cross has brought you near. No more distance. No more wondering if he loves you. No more wondering if he's with you. No more wondering if he's for you. Like Peter, he's pulling you aside and drawing you near. And you never have to feel alone again.
this has been a fulfilling time for you as we take a deep appreciation for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Stay near to him. Heaven knows that's where he wants you. And we appreciate you being a part of the MatCast. Please share this with a friend. We want to expand our MatCast family. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.